0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 130. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and this week we have a very special guest, Bennett McDowell. Bennett is the founder of TradersCoach.com. I think he founded that, wow, way back in 1998, about 36 years of trading experience. In addition to uh, coaching and trading for many years, he's also written a number of books, including most recently, Elliott Wave, Techniques Simplified. A trader's money management system, survival guide for traders, and the art of trading. Also, Bennett uh, and I. Well, actually, Bennett, how you doing today? Let's let's start there, and then we'll we'll talk. We'll sort of rehash how we know each other.
1: Derek, I'm doing great, and it's great to be back, not only here but on here with you after so many years that we had worked together previously. Oh, what thirteen years ago?
0: You know, it's got to be, and I and I almost introduced you as a, a friend of the program. You you are you are a friend of this program, but I used to introduce you that way. Uh, as you know, uh, you were a frequent guest on the Market Huddle, which was the show I I hosted back at uh, TD Ameritrade.
1: Oh, I re- I remember that really well. Yeah,
0: those were great. And you know, the thing I remember was I would schedule guests, and we had different guests every week, and some I would do solo. And from time to time, I mean, as happens in our industry, you know, somebody would have something come up. And I remember calling you once, I think it was five minutes before we were supposed to go to the air and somebody uh, had to cancel and you came on and we didn't even talk about what we were going to go over, but we just we just went. So I'm looking forward to this for sure. This, this should be a good discussion.
1: Yeah, you know, we, you and I always had good flow. You know, we could always cover many different types of topics. And what was fun about it is that we always had a little bit different perspective, and it was a really good um, educational event for most people that would listen in.
0: You know, and even today, I mean, you, I, I don't coach traders anymore. You're still coaching traders and uh, working on software. I'm, I've moved to the money management system. So it's kind of like we will have very different perspectives, although in many ways, I mean, we've, we've sort of had a lot of, of you know experience in coaching traders. We'll certainly get into that. Um, by the way, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'll mention you were one of the people who were nice enough to give me a back uh, cover write up for my book, so I appreciate that, Bennett.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I thought it was a great book.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, by the way, great Labor Day gifts. You can get my book and get Bennett's gifts. I mean, who doesn't want to give a Labor Day gift, right? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And <laughs> September is September is a good time to get back into it. Everybody's coming off vacation. And so you have, uh, you know, more of a bent where you're going to be home digging in, you know?
0: Absolutely. All right. So today I, I thought, I mean, look, I was looking forward to getting back on air with you and having a discussion. And, you know, one of the things we talked about is going through some common mistakes, maybe some tips for both traders and investors, and I think just, you know, going back and looking at our experience, not only coaching people than, than trading. And so, you know, maybe I'll, I'll start here. Is there anything that, um, you can think of like, wh- what's one thing in your trading career that you're like, and by the way, I've made all the mistakes. I'm sure you have as well, but what's a mistake that, that you've made or that, that traders have, have, have made and tell us about it.
1: Well, I, I you know, I think when we talk about trading, I, I kind of think of it like a pizza pie where there's lots of different slices. And the hard thing about trading, Derek, is that you, know, you have to be very proficient in all the different slices. And that means you know, there's a risk control slice. There's a timing slice, entries and exits. There is a scanning, you know, how do you find the markets to trade slice. And the slices go on and on and on. And um, you have to be really good at each slice. There's even an independent psychology slice. Uh, where you have to have your psychology managed well in order to do really well in the markets. So I think um, when people start out in the markets and trading the markets, they don't realize all these slices exist. And you really have to be good in all of them because the markets are so competitive that if you're going to choose the markets as a place to learn, uh, you have to be prepared for that learning curve, which means possibly losing money and so forth in the beginning. And that's tough for people to handle. I, I'm a big believer in doing a lot of simulated trading first before going into the markets. So I guess to answer your question, I think one of the main things I think new traders have to be careful about is not rushing into the market before they're ready.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. And I can't tell you, I used, we refer to it as paying a tuition. And when you go into the markets, and you know something doesn't go right, or maybe you you thought you had it figured out, and you didn't, and you lose money, you're paying a tuition, and it's it's what I mean. Markets can give you expensive lessons; they can give you not so much expensive lessons. But you know, the other thing too is you and I had worked together uh, at a lot of the remember the traders Expo, So that if anyone doesn't know those that's uh they used to have them i don't know if they still do in uh where was it las vegas new york
1: well you know they do they do still have them but you know like we were talking about before so much of the technology's changed now derek and um so many people are now getting their education online so i don't think the actual uh traders expos which you know to me that was a really unique and kind of cool time to be a trader because you could go to these things, interact with other traders, meet people in the business that you've heard about, and you know there's nothing like that face-to-face, you know, meeting, so to speak. So a lot of that's been replaced today, um, and so I don't think the traders expos are quite what they used to be.
0: The thing I remember about those is, you know, people, and and this is maybe a good thing to explore too is, you know, we we'd be there and uh, gotta remember we did that. Uh, I hosted that roundtable. It was you. Larry McMillan and and Steve uh, Steve Nissen, right? is it Nissen or Nissen?
1: I think it's Nissen.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he does the the candlestick charting. Yep. But the thing I remember is, you know, a lot of people would come up to us afterwards and say, you know, what what's the best strategy? What's what's sort of the secret? And and one of the things I always asked him, and and you can share your thoughts on this, was, you know, tell me what your plan is for trading. Like, how do you get in? How do you get out? How do you manage risk? And if you don't have those things, and it may not be that important what your method is, but you got to have a plan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And what's interesting is that um, when you have a plan, you have a base. And then from there, you can see how that plan is doing. And then if you make any changes to that plan, you'll see how it affects the base. You know, does that change a positive thing or a negative thing? So you need to have some type of structured rule base. And obviously, you want to make that structured rule base an edge, right? You don't want to be uh, trading a losing system. And so that's where the hard work of rolling up your sleeves and actually keeping really accurate records of your trade, seeing what works, what doesn't, change the stuff that doesn't work, uh, and tweak it until you have an edge. And quite honestly, that can take quite a bit of time to do but of course, you know, once you have the edge, there's the payoff.
0: I used to think about really preparing to trade and, and it's a book I never wrote. But, you know, from writing books, normally you write sort of an outline and you sort of uh, uh, a little bit about, you know, what it's going to be. And one of the chapters of the book I never wrote, maybe one day I will, was the idea of uh, if you were going to paint a room and you think about it, when you paint a room, much of the time is spent moving stuff taping up, you know, using that blue tape and putting it on the edges and, uh, and, and painting is sort of the last thing. And really, I remember in in your book, which I I really like, the trader's money management system. I always thought uh, of your books, that was one of my favorites. It's the idea of building a foundation and a lot of it has nothing to do with pressing buttons on the keyboard, right?
1: Right, right. And, and you bring up a really good point, you know, the preparation before the project, the actual project is really important. Um, you know they always say most of the wars are won before they're fought, so to speak. And I think the same thing can be applied to, to trading. You want to be when you enter those those markets, which are battlefields because anytime you have money on the line, you have competition and you have the best traders, you'll have some average traders and some novices. And so the idea is the novices obviously, are not going to do well against the more experienced traders. It's not like, you know, when you play tennis or something, you get paired up with somebody that's kind of on your level, and in the markets, you're getting paired up with people more experienced with to you, and also less experienced. So you can't go in there haphazardly because chances are you're not going to do well. So you really the preparation aspect, which is what your example uh, signifies, so great, is that you have to be prepared. You have to do the work ahead of time so when you go in, you're ready to go.
0: You know, I remember, um, and and I'll probably get emails, send me emails from from what I'm going to say, but uh, I used to notice sometimes that that doctors had a difficult time trading. And and the reason, this is my opinion, was that, you know, in in medicine, if you're doing surgery, you can't be wrong. You cannot be wrong because if you're wrong, I mean, really bad things that happen, or certainly you've got to be, have a very high percentage but one of the things, uh, you know, we used to talk about is the idea that really good traders are wrong a lot, but it's sort of the, the magnitude of wins versus the magnitude of losses. And I think that goes back to the risk of ruin stuff, right, Bennett?
1: Absolutely. You hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, if I'm winning 60% of the time, but I have a payoff ratio of two to one, meaning my average wins are twice as great as my average losses, well, that's a winning system. I could go down to 50% wins, but if I have two to one payoff ratio, I'm still got a winning system. Um, If I have anything above 50%, but I'm winning as much as I'm losing, I'm gonna be winning. And of course, as a trader, what we wanna do is get those numbers as high as possible, Um, but the numbers don't lie. So you always wanna stay within uh, the reality of what those numbers are doing. So losses, you know, if you're losing, Four out of ten trades on a sixty percent win. Um, you need to really uh, have very strict risk control and cut those losing trades as quickly as possible. And then, like you said, let the winners run.
0: I think one of the things that, that's worth mentioning too is a lot of people, and you know, at some point, we'll probably touch on the whole Reddit, GameStop, and and uh, AMC craze, and maybe a little bit of, of crypto. And but yeah, I was going to say um, Bitcoin.
1: You can't leave that out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But you know I I think one of the things that people um, th- there was here I'll just cover this I, and I did a podcast on this where I think I asked you know people still I mean it was, it, I tell you what day trading used to be more prevalent just the idea of hey I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to day trade back in uh you know the dot com era but I did a podcast where I looked at a study from Brazil and they they followed basically these traders through and, and, uh, you know, thousands of trades and, and the probability of being successful at day trading after I think a year is, is very, very low. I mean, I, I don't know what your experience is, but at a TD Ameritrade, I mean, we used to see a big burnout rate from traders.
1: Yeah, I, I don't doubt it. Um, you know, I run a day trading room, but we trade futures. We don't trade stocks, but, um, it's hard work. Now we're up for the year. Um, and, uh, you know, our ratios are around 60% wins with a positive payoff ratio. So we're doing pretty good. And we've taken, you know, thousands of trades as well. And we, and we are actually uh, up um, quite a bit uh, for our efforts. But let me tell you something. It's hard work. It's uh, a lot of energy. And it's a lot of risk control. I mean, it is extreme. You have to have really strict risk control. When you day trade, and we trade some very short time frames, but, um, you know, you're earning your money because you're, you're working at it. Uh, it's much different than position trading where you can look at your position and you should look at your position, uh, not during the day, but in the evenings and making your, your decisions to move stops and so forth that way. Uh, a lot less energy uh, in some ways, a lot more stress free, so to speak. So day trading is a different ball game. It's not suited for everybody. Uh, if you have the money and you can afford to do it, it's a fun thing as long as you enjoy it. However, you have to have enough money so you're not so stressed out on the money you're trading on a minute-to-minute basis. And uh, that's where I think a lot of people have an illusion of grandeur when it comes to day trading because they think uh, you know they can make millions. And it's just a matter of pushing buttons. But there are so many factors that come into making it, um, a high energy game where quite frankly, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're, 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 you've earned your money, you're, you're spent and sometimes you lose money. All right. So it's that it's very psychological too. It's a whole different ball game than position trading.
0: You know, that same study, I guess they looked at 20,000 new traders and they found, uh, 3% of traders make money with less than 1% making more than minimum wage. Uh, obviously, there's, uh, I don't know what they started with.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's the other thing.
0: Well, there's a lot of survivorship bias, right, Bennett? I mean, there, there's, you know, you hear about these great stories, but you never hear about the the 99% who uh, never made it.
1: Well, also, too, um, Derek, you know, one of the things about those uh, great stories you hear A lot of times you'll hear about somebody making a killing, either in a particular stock or a a day trade or something, but they probably didn't use risk control. They probably bet the farm and they got lucky. And when you bet the farm, you're either going to make a ton of money or you're going to lose it all. All right. So it's one trade and it's either going to go great or go against them. And you usually hear about the ones that go great and don't, like you said, Hear about the ones that go wrong. But when we talk about day trading on a uh, professional level, you're not talking about betting the farm. You're, first of all, trading with risk capital. This is money that you can afford to risk that you aren't stressed out about on a day to day basis like you would be if you were using money to pay your rent or mortgage or something of that nature. The other thing is they're using enough money, large amounts of money, that um, in order to make a living off day trading, you can't make a living off a $5,000 account or a $10,000 account forget about it. Um, you know, you need hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe even a million depending on what your lifestyle is.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know, Jay Pastorcelli in his book Buy and Hedge, he has a pie chart and he calls uh, you know, your risk capital money your inner guru. And really, I mean that maybe we'll transition this is a good point to to pick up here. You know, I look at, you know, I I'm have clients who have the majority of their their uh their assets managed and then they they sort of have their inner guru quote unquote with a few percent of their money might maybe it's more uh but you know in your experience um i'm sure you know you're talking about the the risk capital portion the smaller amount of a portfolio right
1: that's right and that, and
0: like you said that's
1: like the inner guru money it, it's got to be money you can put into the markets when you, when you talk about actively trading the markets, whether you're day trading or even position trading, um, you're gonna you're you wear a different type of psychological hat than you do when you invest. So for investing, what you're doing is you're diversifying, um, and you know this because this is your business as well. Um, and you're planning for future returns based off historical uh, norms. and and day tra- day trading and position trading, uh, you expect to be able to follow the markets either up or down. And therefore, the concept is you, you expect to make more money uh, because you can make money when the markets go down at times and you can time things better. All right. So that, that's kind of a, a different hat than the investor type of hat. It's, investors are more a little bit more passive. Um, active trading is more uh, aggressively active to some degree. Uh, even though at times you have to be passive when you do it. So it's two different stances. But the point is, and the point you're making here, is when you go to that active stance, you don't want to be trading your entire net worth, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a really key point. And it's very different. Maybe we'll touch on this now, because uh, I think it it blends well. You know, the the for anyone who's been living not under a rock, you've probably heard, and follow financial media, the idea of uh, the GameStop craze and, and AMC and the meme stocks. And, uh, you know, essentially a lot of people go into Reddit chat rooms and, and uh, you know, there. But in some cases, you, you see people who... I mean, I'll give you two sides of it. Some people post wins and they're like, hey, I turned really small amounts of money into a ton. And then I saw another post one day where a guy was asking... So, how do I tell my wife I lost all our money? I mean, it's literally. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think there's a lot of survivorship bias too, because I, I think the winners typically uh, will post more and 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 show more. But I mean that there's no you talked about earlier having a plan. I mean, throwing all your money into into GameStop is not a plan, certainly.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, but going into GameStop based on a set of trading rules and risk control, that can be fine. You know, um, what you were saying, Derek, reminds me of the craze back in the late 1990s where we had the dot-com technology bubble there and oh, yeah. everybody was day trading. Remember that? Um, yeah. You go to a cocktail party and people were day trading. You told me a, a great story, which I think you should tell again about the postman you
0: knew. Yeah, I can I can tell that now. If, yeah. Tell that. It's a great story. Yeah, tell it. So li- this is probably, you know, March of 2000. So this is pr- just about at the crest, the very, very top of the NASDAQ uh, tech bubble. And I'm getting my mail. And, and at the time I was working a, on a trading desk at Charles Schwab and he sees the statement. And he he said something about it. He said, oh, you know, we we're just going back and forth. You know, he asked me if I trade. I said, no, no, I, well, I, I, I do, but I work there. He said, yeah, this is, my, uh, this is actually my last week as a, as a postman. I'm, I'm going to quit and day trade for a living full time. And it was literally like a week before the tech crash, Bennett. I kid you not.
1: Yeah. And, and those stories, I think, were quite frequent um, back in that day. Because everybody was a day trader, or at least wanted to be. And um, you could not go to a cocktail party or any party without somebody bringing up the stock market at, the, at some point. So that's the kind of thing we're seeing now, uh, or we saw on in, in a couple of these uh, things on Reddit and so forth, where people, you know, instead of going to cocktail parties, they now go to social rooms and it's that same interaction or discourse.
0: You know, I think back to, there's been different iterations on this too. I mean, I, I remember when telephonists to Mexico went crazy, I think it was 93, 94, and that was anything telephone is yeah. uh like chili i remember you know, that. that was the craze remember that and it was it was just a rush right to, that was the big boom yeah and then i remember the the emerging markets and uh that was a big thing too i remember going to buy a tv remember the Wiz stores in new york bennett remember those oh yeah
1: are they have they gone out of business they're gone right i don't
0: I, you know i don't know i'm, I'm in they might be gone Nobody Beats the Wiz, right? That was the old, uh, there was a Seinfeld episode too that that sort of did Nobody Beats the Wiz. Remember the guy had the hat, or was that Crazy Eddie, the guy who wore the hat? That was Crazy Eddie, right? That was Crazy Eddie. He was great too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a whole other story. There's, uh, You can Google that. But you know, the, the thing I remember about uh, the Wiz, by the way, interestingly, as a side note, you actually went in and you would haggle over the price on a TV. There would be a salesperson who would sort of you know, I don't know if I can do it. You know, my boss, let's see if he's in a good mood. But I remember going in there and a guy had the, uh, emerging markets, uh, Merrill Lynch dragon fund, which was the emerging markets, the prospectus like folded up in his back pocket. And he was there selling, you know, TVs and it's, it's, it kind of just, it change, It's, it's different, but it's sort of all the same. And I think, uh, it goes back to the idea of, You know, tracking, and and maybe this is a good point to bring up too. I mean, really good traders are very diligent about tracking things. You you talked about it in your books, Um, but you know, just because somebody wins once doesn't mean it's a repeatable process, right?
1: Well, that and that brings up a really good thing to discuss because I think that's another issue, Derek, that affects so many people that are new in the markets. I don't know if you've heard this adage that most people trade their last trade. And what that means is that whatever happened in terms of their last trade they tend to carry the information of that trade over to their new trade which is not a good idea because for example let's say you had a stop set and you got stopped out yesterday and now you go to trade now and you say okay well i used the stop here i'm not going to use a stop today all right and of course what happens You should have gotten out and you should have used the stop because you lost a ton of money. So that's trading your last trade. You want to replace that type of of, uh, format with a more structured rule base based on enough of a sample size of trades that you have something that has meaning. In other words, it's accurate. So you want to have accurate statistics to base your decisions on.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that's and you had some of those frameworks uh I I think it was either in the money management book or uh it might have been the uh uh the survival guide, right? I think you you put tables and things like that in there, right? Yep. I think I did on both books. I think you're right. It's been it's been a while uh since I read that one. God, when did Trader's Money? That was what 2008?
1: I think it was 2008 and it was a Trader's Money Management System, yeah.
0: Yeah. But that uh, that's a really important thing, you know, and and I think both of us, uh I'll speak for you for a second, are fans of of Jack Schwager's work, the the market wizards. And I think he makes a point of, you know, there's a very big difference uh in people have short term, you know, wins, but it's over the long term. And it's about measuring that risk management. And, you know, I mean I look at options too. I mean, I could there's a lot of option strategies when the market is uh, you know, you could sell volatility for years and not take a loss. and uh, you know the 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 traditional metrics will look unbelievable. but that I mean, I guess that's part of it too, you know, understanding what the real risk is. And I think that's a problem early on is knowing, look, I mean, I, this is the money that I have at risk. I mean, maybe, Maybe we can explore that a little bit because I think that's a big mistake that traders make is is really not understanding what the true risk of of what can happen, right? Right. Well,
1: you know, and and just to piggyback on that for a minute, you know, as a trader, when we go into the market, we're optimistic, right? And we usually are setting our stop at a level we think is correct. And we're eyeing a target zone that we're hoping prices go to. And that's how we're going to make our profit, right? So here's what, after doing this for a long, long time, here's, here's the thing that um, I think traders have to realize uh, that happens. You can be right on your forecast, but you may have your stop at the wrong place. And what happens is you get stopped out and then it moves back in direction of your target. So where you put your, your stop loss is as important as where you're getting into the markets. And the two are very married. The whole thing is, is a married, you know, your target zone is married to your, to your entry, which is married to where your stop is. And so you want to keep track of the different things that happen in a trade. For example, if you're getting stopped out a lot, but your projection or analysis is correct, then you need to work on. Uh, adjusting your stops to allow for the volatility that the market needs to reach your target zone. And unless you keep accurate records and analyze this stuff, that's something that may not even come to your awareness. So keeping records of everything is really important.
0: You know, one of the things too I, I think about is, um, and, and this is really where I think in you know, maybe there's some synergies with investors and traders, you know, on the investing side, uh, some of the mistakes that I see are, uh, people, you know, trying to, to time the market and that's really more apt for, uh, you know, that, that inner guru portion of the portfolio. We did a, a study Bennett and we looked back 20 years and it was really, really surprising if people miss just the two best days of the year. Your annualized return went from like eight percent down to like one and a half percent. I mean, it was pretty stark. Just the two best years. And and the other thing I think that that some people unfortunately do is they panic. I mean, part of this too is you know, I'm a big believer in in hedging portfolios. And if you've got a portfolio and it's hedged, you you don't really f- have as much concern about the market going down fifty well, percent if you've got yeah. yeah, if you've got legitimate things in there. Um, but I, I think panic is uh, we see it on the investing side absolutely and we try and you know talk people through that and you're trying to have if you've got the right strategy um, you know it lessens panic but I also think one of the things I've seen and you know I, I don't coach traders anymore at one point I, I did is you know it's one thing to go through a nice easy market um, but I've seen people panic and you know, it's kind of like you go out in a rowboat and you wind up in a hurricane. Well, unless you've been in a hurricane before, you don't know what to do.
1: No, you're you're absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, part of investing, now we're talking more like investing now, is that, um, you know, a person's panic can be an opportunity for somebody else.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is always somebody else on the other side of the trade. By the way, you know what's interesting with the whole GameStop thing is, you know, you had a lot of individual traders trying to trade against really big money, really big institutions. Yeah. Um, although that one, right, they were short. I don't know why. I, I do wonder why they weren't hedged. It would have been really cheap to just hedge some of those long positions. But, But let me ask you a question, too. So give us some more, you know, do you have any interesting mistakes, stories? Or actually, here, let's flip it around and make it positive. What do you? See, what's some of the traits in really good traders? Maybe that you've coached, or just that you know. Um, you know that. Yeah. What do you? What do you see that that they all have? Well,
1: I think a common um, denominator amongst them all is they're humble. In other words, no matter how long they've been trading, they never are fearful of learning something new um and they and applying that in a test environment to see if that helps or hinders their current performance um you know if we want to go back to that example you know i gave you of you know the stops you know if you are right on your target zone but you're getting stopped out uh, from time to time way too often based on your statistics on the past let's say 100 trades well then you know you probably want to tweak that all right so what would you do well you would try to probably lower your stop. And and if your entries seem to be okay, lower your stop. And that's going to increase your risk. So how do you compensate that in risk control? Well, you have to lower your trade size too. All right. So you do that and then you test that to see if that's giving you the type of uh, performance uh, that you would expect by doing that. And so I think really successful traders roll up their sleeves confront problems head on, take a look at the stats, and um, are constantly evolving by checking to see if they can do anything better. But before they actually apply that uh, necessarily in the real markets, test it first and see if it does give you an edge. So I think they're very studious in that way. Now, that bit of humbleness that comes also needs to be in the markets in terms of once you take a position, we can't control the markets. All right. Once we have a position in place, the only thing we can control is our risk, where we put our stop, how many shares or contracts you're trading. And the rest is at that point, once the trade is in, you're in a monitoring position, which is kind of a passive position. And so you're aware, but you're not being overly aggressive. And so that is something um, that I think new traders have a hard time with because what they tend to do is try to be aggressive when the trade is on by moving their stops too close and not really assessing the situation based on um, basically statistics on the last you know 30 or 100 trades so they don't really have a structured system.
0: I think one of the other things too, and, and I'll borrow a quote from uh, you know, the Jack Schwager books, And it's, uh, I think it was Mark Minervini was the trader in the interview. So if anyone's not familiar with those books, it's, um, after you buy Bennett's books and my book and you can go to the Schwager books has that, but, uh, he interviewed different traders and every chapter was a different trader. So Mark Minervini had this quote, it said, being wrong, isn't a choice, but staying wrong is. And I think that's one of the, it's a tremendous quote. And I think. Great quote. You know, really good traders, and, and I'll get your thoughts on this, in my mind, it's the ones who can get out. They don't have to be right. But I can't tell you, um, I think in, in those books as well, they call it the hope, wish, pray. It's, I hope my stock goes up. I wish I would have sold it. And I find religion and I pray and please get back to break even. But I mean, traders have to be ruthless about getting rid of losers, right? I mean, that's, that's a big deal.
1: I think you hit the nail right on the head. But I think also, too, once you do this a while, getting out of trades is easy. You don't even think twice about it because it's just like business is normal. All right. If if I have a stop in place, all right, and that stop gets hit, then the reasons for being in that trade are no longer valid. So I want get, to get out. All right. If things turn around and the trade looks good again, then I'll reassess it. So you always want to put your stops at place where it invalidates the trade that you took. And if you look at it from that mindset, it's easy um, at that point to get out because the trade is wrong. All right. Now, if you have a trouble admitting the trade is wrong, that's where you could have a problem with people not getting out.
0: No, absolutely. I think it's, it's just this, uh, yeah, there's a need to be right. But I think it's, if one of the things when I've looked and and when I used to work with traders and they would show me their statements or go through, you know, problems they were having with their trades, that was one of the main things is the, just this idea that they couldn't be wrong. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned timing earlier too. I think this is a good time to, uh, no pun intended there to talk about that (laughs) because
1: good time to talk
0: about time. Yeah. I mean, one of the most famous things that we saw, I mean, it's like the fact that they made a movie about it was the big short and where you, you, uh, I mean, Michael Burry, of course did credit to fault swaps. That was a good movie. By it was the way. a really good movie. Um, but I think the lesson, you know, I remember people who were betting against housing and lost money and it's, you know, your idea could be right, but your timing could be wrong. And right, and they didn't make a movie about the people who lost money in 2006. They did about a couple other people. So talk about timing.
1: Well, I think timing is you know, as important as any other slice of the trading pie. Um, if your timing's off, trade's not going to work. Um, That's simple. And for me, what I do with timing is I have a very structured approach on how I enter the markets, as I'm sure most everybody that trades does, um, or at least should. And so by the time I pull the trigger to go into a trade, I've checked various time frames on the same market and you know i look at some of the indicators Mm -hmm. that i have and and that i use you know for timing and so forth and sometimes i gotta tell you i mean sometimes i'll be trading a really that movie captain phillips with the navy seals oh yeah did you watch that one okay where they where you had the three seals on the back with their their um guns pointed at the targets but they couldn't take it until all the greens were go you remember that part?
0: Oh, yeah. That was a great movie. That was really intense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Same thing with trading. So when you're timing, when I'm looking at a, at a market to, that I want to go into, I'm looking at a number of things and they all have to give me a green light before I can go. Now, that means sometimes I miss a trade, but I know over time, that's my edge. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. And I think it's, uh, I mean, part of what I think really good traders do and, you know, like w- with us, we, we, run diff- we run a short volatility strategy that, that has any number of rules. Uh, some we, we disclose publicly, some, some we don't. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just a lot of boxes have to get checked. I like the the three greens, though. I remember that movie.
1: Yeah, so, so every time I see that, when I saw that for the first time, I said, hey, that's just like timing a trade. You know, you wait for all three <laughs> greens and go. Um, and it's about that hectic, too. You know, a red, I got a green, I got a red, you know, that type yeah. of thing. Um, so you got to go back and forth. But it's kind of interesting because um, that takes a lot of discipline and belief in your system to do that. And, you know, the only way to get that is through practice.
0: By the way, just thinking about Trey, I was, I've done a couple episodes on, uh, on movies where I actually did one on the big short where I explained what the heck a credit default swap is, but I, I really like the big short. Um, you know, when I think about us being in the markets for as long as we have, I mean, Wall Street was the, the big one what was that eight. Is that 87? I think it was 87.
1: 87 was the, the crash, you know, the first big, that only lasted a short period of time. It's just a big flash crash almost. And then it recovered people lost a ton of money, especially on options.
0: Since I'm talking about movies, um, do you have any, like, what are your favorite trading movies? It's a random question, but it, I just thought of it when you mentioned, the. Uh...
1: yeah, I think the rogue trader is a very good one. Uh, you know, Nick Gleason.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Explain that story for people.
1: That is a great, uh, movie for traders because, um, you know, yeah, he traded for a big bank and he eventually bankrupted the bank. But also, you could you could very much take this down to an individual trader and how he performs in the market. So basically, what happened is um, Nick got uh, uh, in with the Baring's Bank, uh, which was a big bank in the UK, and um, was put on their main uh, trading floor. All right for currencies, I think foreign currencies or something, and basically um, they had started to have losses now. He was trading, pit trading, so it's a little different. But what his mistake was is he started losing and then started doubling his bets, so to speak, or his trades in order to try to offset the losing trade. So basically, risk control went out the window, okay? He bet the farm to try to get back the farm, if that makes sense. And, of course, um, things got worse, and he created – a uh, a losing account that was actually five eights. It was the eight 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 account, and he hid all his losing trades into that account away from the prying eyes of the um, in-house bank auditors, so they couldn't see it. Um, so he dug himself into a hole, and before he knew it, the hole was so big he couldn't dig himself out and he was trading from a purely panic level. And you can you can see that that happens sometimes even to individual traders, not on a scale that it happened with him and bringing down the entire bank. But this is what happens. It's denial of your performance and then not knowing how to fix it.
0: Yeah. I, I thought that was a real, I just looked, by the way, I was going to tell our audience where they could go stream it. It's not available anywhere. So you probably got a YouTube, it, but and and just for for uh you know that so everyone knows that was a real story i mean that was barings bank it was barings right that yep. was barings. around for a few hundred years and billions of dollars he lost by the time it was all over
1: and and it, yeah it had been around a long time you know that's another another good um educational thing for auditors because you know they should have caught his losses somehow and obviously they had a problem with that
0: yeah no i i'd forgotten about that one i it's funny in my head I was like a quicksilver yeah, I was okay that's the one where we uh uh what's his name it's, uh Kevin bacon was on the bicycle the bicycle messenger right
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: i don't know what lessons were it w- it was good it was entertaining but uh yeah for for traders or investors i think road tra- trader is a like a one1 of what not to do right
1: Right. And I think, um, for investors out there, um, and for, you know, general public, I thought boiler room was kind of good because, um, that showed you what unscrupulous, uh, people can do. Um, you know, basically by calling you and trying to get you to invest with people you don't know.
0: I remember that, uh, I had interviewed with some of those firms. What was the one, uh, uh, what's the movie with Jordan, uh, Belford. He was in Long Island.
1: Yeah. I know which one you're talking about the guy with the fancy cars and
0: he, <laughs> yeah, I never worked there. Uh, what was the name of that firm? It had the line on it.
1: Yeah. He was at a, He was working at a great neck, I think, um, New York in that film. And I, I can't remember it, but anyway, it was a classic.
0: I, you know, I actually, cause it was right. Sort of where Queens and Long Island met. I think, uh, I'm 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 googling it right now, firm, because it's going to kill me. Because I I did interview there, Stratton Oakmont. That's who it was. Okay, and where were they located? Do you know? I don't remember. You know, I I think it was. I think it was Great Neck. It could have been. That's close. That's close to Queens, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Usually have Manhattan. You know how the islands sort Neck. of bled into? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was Great Neck, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah, I ne- never worked there, but uh, I I did interview. Well, I guess there. that's a. good but, thing. And, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the thing too. I mean, those, those firms, and we're talking mid nineties. I mean, that's how it was back then where people would make these cold calls, right? They'd call and say, I got this idea. And, you know, now, I mean, that's, that's what I was going to ask you about technology. And I think that's one of the the benefits of technology is that, that really, those firms aren't around anymore in, in the scale that they were. I don't know if they are any, uh, but, you know, in thinking about technology and the information that people had, I can remember when I first had access to a Bloomberg machine, I can look at the, you know, the option Greeks and things like right. that. And right. now pretty much most of the major firms have that. And I think it's, I'm I'm a little conflicted because I, you know, people have sent me stuff and I'm like, ah, it's really not right. And it was, you know, coming from Reddit. So, but I think technology I mean, people have to understand how much easier it is today than it was when I had to write paper tickets and put them in a chute at a building, you know?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, a lot of people are afraid of technology. A lot of people talk about the underbelly of technology and okay, um, it's there. But I got to tell you, um, overall, you know, the internet and the way we interact with people today on it is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and the ability for us to almost live anywhere and to be able to trade the markets at the speed in which we're capable of trading today, um, and get the information that we need, uh, is just, um, I think a huge, huge benefit to all of us.
0: Oh, I, I a hundred percent agree. And I'm, I'm torn with some of the, you know, the, the, the firms that are targeting, you know, younger people and they gamify trading and things like that, or maybe give people margin or options that shouldn't have it. But we know that there, there's power in people starting early and you know, the more that they can educate themselves and start, it's, it's kind of like voting in some places, right? Early and often. Wasn't that the Chicago thing? I forget it. Right. Invest early and and often, but exactly. Well, I was going to ask, I mean, uh, and, and make your make say what you're going to say before I, I cut you off. But I mean, have you seen traders be more successful now with all the technology or or sometimes is it too much?
1: You know, that is, Derek, I think, a phenomenal question. Um, I think if you look at the numbers, you still have the same percentages failing in the market that you did 30 years ago when they start talking about short-term trading. I mean, think about it. We have all the computer power that we need sitting on our desk. Uh, You have all the fanciest charting platforms and information. The problem is, is how people use the information. But don't forget, we're all human beings. So what happens is that very organic fear and greed tends to override common sense.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a good way of putting it. And that's what happens,
1: I think. Um, because if it was as simple as having the best system or all the technology, um, then you would have a lot more people winning in the markets. But that's not the case. And it's very hard for the average person to follow a system um, in the markets and go against... Um, what they're hearing on social network or some of the other influences that may be counteracting what they know they should be doing.
0: You know, I, I sometimes think people shouldn't watch, no offense to CNBC, but they should turn off CNBC. They should turn off.
1: I I never have it on (laughs) when I day trade, never have it on. You know, I am just physically watching price patterns, what my instruments, it's kind of like flying an airplane uh, in cloudy weather, you know, I don't, I'm looking at my instruments only, just like a, a, a pilot would. And I used to be a pilot, so I know this. You know, you look at your instruments and you fly the airplane. And, it, you know, if you can't see the horizon, you, you rely on your instruments. That's the way you need to trade.
0: I think one of the things that, uh, for sure, that, that technology, I mean, I go, I look at, uh, I mean, take, for example, the futures market. I mean, back in late 80s, early 90s, Nobody really traded futures except the the professionals, you know, or the the industry people. And I'm I'm sort of reticent to talk about futures because of the leverage there. And I think I think that's one of the things um, that can get people in trouble. But you know, actually, let's talk about that—the use of leverage. And I think this is—it's—it's it's a you know, people might be like, "Well, oh, yeah, he's going to say I know what he's going to say. He's going to say leverage is really bad." Um, leverage if used in the right way can be good. I mean, take it for example, uh, with options. I always say a butter knife wouldn't you wouldn't think it was dangerous, but you could do something nefarious with it. Uh, like options, you could you could limit that's your losses. You can you like that one, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good one. Um, but that's a big mistake. And I can't tell you, Bennett, how many people I've I've talked to over the years. You say, Oh yeah, I traded Forex or I traded futures and uh yeah, I lost a lot of money. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, one of the ways I would suggest folks uh, approach, uh, approach you know, risk and so forth is, you know, there's two types of risk um, that really stand out. One is called market risk and the other is what I call trade risk. Now, market risk means that whatever you have in your trading account, if you put that in the markets, there's a chance you could lose lose all of it. Um, even if you pro- if, even if you use some forms of risk control, not all, but some. Okay, um, for example, let's say I go into stock or futures market X Y Z, and I have my carefully chosen stop, and I have calculated my trade size. So if I get stopped out, regarding of leverage, I'm only going to lose a thousand bucks. So let's say you know I have a fifty thousand dollar account. My risk that I'm willing to risk, based on my uh, numbers, is two percent. And so, I don't want to risk any more than $1,000 as a loss, a total loss on the trade. All right. So, fine. You put all that money to work. Uh, it may be an expensive stock. So, you're maybe using margin or you may be using futures. Fine. Okay. All right. Then what happens? Then all of a sudden, you get a terrorist attack or you get something unforeseen and the market gaps and it gaps way past your stop. And then by the time you get filled, you're almost wiped out. All right. So, there goes your carefully. Uh, chosen stop. There goes your trade risk calculations and market risk came into play and took your money. All right. So how do you combat that? Well, you know, you can do what what you do at your firm and and have hedges in place on, on money. But for somebody that's actively trading the accounts and doesn't do that, the only way you can protect yourself against a market risk event is by funding your trading account with money you can afford to risk. And this is why wealthy traders never trade their entire amount, never trade their entire net worth because of market risk. Market risk can come out of nowhere and take everything away from you, no matter how careful you are. And so you know that's the two things you really have to consider. And when you're talking about leverage, like what your question was, your your amount that you want to lose all right, should be calculated so mat- no matter how you put the position on, you don't want to lose more than that. And so even if you're using leverage or something, that's got to be the maximum amount. And then you have to also account for market risk, which is something you really can't account for. And the only way you protect yourself with that is through funding your account with money you can afford to risk. I mean, that's the only way I can think of doing
0: it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really well said. Um, we're not done yet, but I, I did want to mention that, uh, uh, one of the things, uh, Bennett has, is uh, offered, we're going to have a link in the show notes. I think you're going to give, either give something away or, or, uh, you've got a guide. Um, I'll put a little inf- information there in the show notes. Uh, but before I forget, I just wanted to mention that. So make sure folks, uh, to go down and, and click on that. Um, one of the things I, I, I wanted to cover too. Um, Benny, are you okay to stick around a little bit? Or oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I can't believe okay. the hour's almost up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just looked at the clock when you said that. I was like, whoa. I know. I know. You know?
0: So, well, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on again for sure. But I, uh, I wanted great. to mention, um, you know, you and I, so we never faced off against each other, but one of the things you and I did in, in, uh, at the traders expos at different times we did the live trading challenge. I don't know if you remember your appearances there, but
1: oh, the yeah. <laughs> whole idea is
0: very few traders, and this is how they marketed it: very few traders ever tell you, you know, about their trades or release. Um, even fewer will ever do it in public. And so, the setup there was uh, at the Traders Expo in, in the in the big hall. They would have the huge screens, and you, it was you against. You know, when I did it, I, I uh, faced off against a, a futures trader. I, I forget. I was tra- either trading futures or forex or stocks, um, and you did it separately.
1: I think I was trading the E Mini myself, so I think it was. Were you okay? Yeah.
0: But that was uh, that was something, and the whole idea was for the audience. They wanted to watch quote unquote professional traders, and I, I don't trade like that anymore. But um, not like you do now. But yeah, what what do you? I'm, I'll give my thoughts in a second. But what do you remember about those? Those were fun, weren't they? I had a lot of
1: fun with those, uh, Derek. Those were great because, um, you know, you had the excitement of the crowd, you know, and we usually had a pretty good turnout on those. So it was kind of fun. And um, it was very congenial. All right. Um, When they set it up, um, my um, opponent had his own, you know, big screen. I had mine so people could watch what was going on on our laptops uh, real time. So it's kind of cool. And then we'd walk them through the trades and things like that and discuss risk control. And the trades, we entered the trades, uh, uh, when we when we saw the timing right, we would enter the trades and they were live trades. So it wasn't simulated accounts. It was live trading accounts. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, the only drawback from that whole thing is it was only like 45 minutes, right? 45 minutes to an yeah. hour, as I recall. So you didn't have a lot of time. So Um, You had to use a really short enough time frame in order to try to get the trade completed uh, in that time frame. So it was um, a lot of people wouldn't have traded that short a time frame, but uh, they got to see the structure on how we do the timing.
0: Yeah, I remember the setup the the time I did it was was me. And as you said, you know, the other trader and they had a host. I forget what his name was. Um, Yeah,
1: we had one, too. It was good.
0: Yeah. So it was the host and, and basically they would go back and they were you know, they would ask you questions and things. The thing I remember though is I did mine uh I forget what year it was, probably two thousand nine. Is it that long ago? And and yeah, it was I'm sure. the Friday before a holiday weekend. And so I think I switched markets a couple times and I had, you know, the same setup because when you're trading technicals, you're basically you know, it's it's uh, you're Take trading charts just, and patterns.
1: Sure. Exactly. I think I was
0: doing a Donchian channel strategy. Um but the other thing too I remember Bennett is they were big that you had to show it was actual money. Do you remember them asking you that? Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. No fake money. You had to do it. But did you win yours?
1: I'm trying to remember. I think I think we almost broke even between the two of us because the day that I'm thinking back, I think it was John Netto and me and he took a trade and I took a trade and towards the end, that we were about neck and neck, but we had to end it. So I think I, you know, I think it was like a break-even th- type of thing. I did two or three of them though.
0: You did, yeah. I only I only did it once. Yeah, you did a couple.
1: But you know, forty-five minutes. You know, you, you could be up or down, and that really doesn't mean anything because that's such a short period of time.
0: The thing I remember about mine is uh, we were hard pressed to get trades, and I think at the end of it he, the other guy, I wish I could remember the gentleman's name, but, uh, he's a good guy, but we kind of looked at each other and he, he looked at me, he goes like, guess I won. I'm like, yeah, you did. <laughs> you made more than me, you know? So, but it was, it, I remember some of the people asked the, they were taking some audience questions afterwards and people, one guy got up and he said, you know, kind of disappointed. I thought I was going to see you guys trade. And most of it was kind of like, you know, how surfers hang out and wait for a wave. I mean, we were we're just looking at our setups, you know?
1: It's that Captain Phillips movie, remember? Waiting for the That's dots right. to line up. That's and right. people don't realize that good trading sometimes, you know, is a lot of waiting for that right setup. It's kind of like a lion, you know, out in the wilderness stalking his prey. They sit and wait a long time until they get the right timing down and find the weakest one.
0: Yeah. So Bennett, I... I let me, before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you've written several books and, uh, one of the things that I learned, I learned a lot from the writing process. Um, you know, do you, do you plan on more books by the way, or, or we got more books coming or?
1: Well, I, it's interesting to say that I have one I'm writing now, um, and, uh, I, you know, it probably won't be ready for another, you know, it takes a long time to write these books, as you know. Um, so probably next year and, um, you know, I've got to talk to Wiley and McGraw-Hill and see if they want to uh, publish it.
0: Yeah. I was glad to see the, you finally did something bookwise on, uh, uh and we, maybe we'll, <laughs> if I start asking questions about Elliott wave, we'll, we'll be here forever, but I was glad to see you did, uh, did one specific to that. But, um, my my favorite is still the money management, uh, that one. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to remember last time. I, I know I read your next one, which is more about setting up trading as a business. But I still, I always like the money management system for traders because it, it goes back to the painting the room idea. I think it just really encapsulates.
1: Right. You know, when we talk about uh, people just starting out in trading, you can't go wrong. With risk control learning about risk control first think of that think of that if you were you know learning to to drive a car what's the first thing you want to do put on your seat belt right okay same thing with trading you want to learn how to put that risk control seat belt on so that's a good place to start the book that you're referring to as a reference is the survival guide for traders and that is a good reference book um but i would do the money management one first
0: yeah no i that was that was always in fact That was when you, so I don't remember what, it must have been 2007, 2008 uh, that that came out because that was brand new when you and I were on air and we were talking about that because remember we had the risk of Rune charts and things like that that you have in there. So, yep,
1: I sure do. And I think actually that was my second book because I came out with the art of trading, which art stands for the applied reality trading system first. And I think that was in 2006. And then in 2008, I came out with the money management book.
0: That's right. All right. Well, I can't, as you said, I can't believe this is the, uh, the hour is up. Let, let me make sure again and give you the, uh, the info for, uh, for Bennett's stuff. So, traderscoach.com is the, is the website. He's the, uh, the founder of that, uh, that firm. And I know you've got some software, you, you do some coaching. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you're going to have a, a, a link to, uh, to kind of a, a giveaway. In the show notes, so I'll certainly put that in there, right?
1: Yeah, Derek. What I'm thinking on the giveaway, um, since we talked a lot about money management, I have an article I did that has some money management formulas in it that I think would be good. What do you think about that?
0: That's great. I, I think the audience would love okay. it. So, anything you have, I'll put it in the show notes, and so make Super. sure and check that out. And of course, uh, you know, we mentioned the books. So, uh, good couple books to. Available on Amazon or wherever you, you buy your books. And Bennett, this is fun to get back on the air again.
1: It really is, Derek. It's great. Just like old times.
0: I know. I know. By the way, I, I, as an aside, you and I were on air a lot during the 2008-2009 meltdown. I remember some yes, of those we days.
1: Uh, yes, we, um, were. we were. We were in the thick of things, right? <laughs>
0: Well, but, the, you know, that goes back to, here I said we were going to wrap this up, and I'll just mention, I, I think it's a valuable thing. You know, back then, we, I had an audience that was, you know, pretty consistent, and they would follow. And you and other guests, but, you know, a big thing what we focused on, like you focused on today, was was risk management. And I remember getting feedback from people who said, look, I mean, you know, days when the markets were down big, and if they had risk controls in place, you Know a couple of them got out, had stops, had had a plan. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I, I know I used to get the emails. Guy sent me an email one time. He said, Hey, look, you saved the family today. I was like, Great. We did our job. So
1: Yeah, I used to love to get emails like that. And and let's let me just say one more thing. You know, the market is at all time highs, right? Uh it's obviously from a price standpoint still in an uptrend, so to speak. But you know, that is gonna end soon too. So the more you learn about risk control now the better off you're going to be in the
0: future. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And it's one of the reasons why on the money management side, we have hedges and buffers. So we never know when the market's going to come down at some point. Guess what? There will be another bear market at some time. Uh, I don't know when it is. And guess what? The mar- Do you know, Bennett, the, the market's within 36% of an all-time high, or within an all-time high, 36% of the time. We went back and I think, since 1950, we looked at that.
1: That's an interesting stat. No, I didn't realize that interesting
0: all right let's 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 not keep going we're gonna have you back though for sure ben and mcdowell Traderscoach.com. ben and i can't thank you enough for uh for coming back on it's great great to be on with you after so long let's not let's not wait another 13 years
1: absolutely derek my pleasure really great to be on with you too again
0: all right we'll see everyone next week